Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. A couple of shout-outs. First of all, birthdays. Linda Conover, Paula Harrington, and Len Dean. Uh, just a couple things there. Also... We are going to be at the fest this week. In case you are watching this a little early and want to sneak over for the service, uh, we're going to be at the fest. And the next two weeks, that's what's going on. And okay, so anyway, the title for today is God Can Do Anything. God Can Do the Impossible. God Can Do the Impossible, 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7. Interesting story today. Kind of reminds me of something that happened when I was in high school. I was at a retreat at Lake Canadagua, Lake Canadagua in New York, and our youth group was on the retreat, uh, our church youth group, and we were on a speedboat. I remember we were riding around Lake Canadagua on the speedboat on a ride, and I had my friend Steve and I. We were both on this uh, the back of the the speedboat. We were in the very back seat, and the guy was zooming around. We're zooming around, and while we're zooming around, he and I goof around. And I remember I I reached out and splashed some water on him, and he turned around and splashed some water on me, and I reached out and splashed some water on him, and he went and splashed some on me. And as he swung to splash on me, he hit my glasses, knocked them off. Flip behind. Now we're running at back of the boat. There's like this much room behind us, and then there's the you know the propeller, the engine there, and uh, the motor with the propeller, and it went flying behind. And, and I'll never. I was like, what? It went. I I'm blind without my glasses, right? If if without the glasses, I'm my retreat is over. I'm like Mr. Magoo, you know, uh, legally blind. And and uh, I was like. I was mad. I was mad. Uh, very angry. I just felt the anger raging up because not only did I lose my glasses, but I don't like anybody touching my glasses uh, because it messes them up and I don't like how it feels. And don't, don't ever, you know, my glasses are like the sacred thing and being OCD, it makes it even worse. But still, I still remember the look on my friend Steve's face. It was sheer terror because he's thinking, number one, I'm going to have to buy Chuck glasses but number two he's gonna beat me up because he knows i didn't like any touching my glasses right and 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 i and i'm sure i looked back at him with total like rage building up right and we both i'll never forget we both went look back in despair and we saw a miracle my glasses were on the edge of the boat, hanging, kind of hanging off. The part of them were hanging off, and the rest were sitting on the edge. And we're zooming along, and somehow these glasses didn't fly out of the boat. They're just teetering on the back ledge. My glasses, and I'll never forget. I reached back and grabbed it, and and we both like started laughing, <laughs> like nervous laughing, like we couldn't believe it. It was a miracle. A miracle. We're going to see something even more miraculous today in the Bible. Something even more impossible. Not just glasses that were teetering, but imagine if those glasses had gone and sunk to the bottom of Lake Canadagua and somehow they floated back up to the top. That's what we're going to see today, that our God can do the impossible. Let's pray. Father, after all that we've been going through, all that we've seen Elisha going through, all that we've been going through here in the USA today, Lord, we need a hopeful sermon that you can do the impossible. I pray that each person watching this, listening to this, 
studying this passage with us, each person, Lord, that we would have a shot of hope, a, a jolt of hope today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's read the passage first of all. We finished up naming the lepers healing and we move, we're moving on to chapter 6 now. 2 Kings 6 verse 1, The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place for us to live. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, an iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and, and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Woo, interesting. Now, Elisha has a school for prophets. He's teaching them the word of God, the school for prophets. Now, when you see the word prophet or prophecy in the Bible, sometimes it's foretelling. Like Elisha, we saw him foretelling. He predicted an event that was going to happen, a judgment coming, something that was going to happen. Sometimes it's foretelling. But the main function of prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, by far the vast majority of what they do is not foretelling, but forthtelling. Forth telling. That's when they take God's word and preach it. They take God's word and apply it to the current situation. It doesn't take foretelling. It just takes most of the time foretelling, taking God's word and, and saying how it applies to our life today, to our country today. And the gift of prophecy, that's what it empowers some to do is to take the word and forth tell. Once again, Elisha, special endowment. It was able to foretell, but the school of prophets, their primary focus was foretelling, preaching the word of God. There are schools of prophecy today. I read about them. I follow them. I kind of keep up with them. And these schools of prophecy, I don't think Elisha would be too happy with them. I remember one of the best known one, ones, the leader of this, I was just reading about him the other day, and he was saying that his a success rate on foretelling. They're all about foretelling, giving words from God. And and he his said his success rate was 50%, about 50%. And he said, that's pretty good. That's pretty good because you can't always be on. And, you know, 50%. Hey, I could do 50%, you know. But but he's 50%. He was saying that's what a prophet should be able to do today uh New Testament times. And I'm like, that's a bunch of bull. Are you kidding me? In the Old Testament, you would have been stoned. You would have been stoned. Probably should still be stoned 50%. At least stop calling yourself a prophet. The Bible's test, according to the Word of God, is 100%. And if someone's not 100%, they're not a true prophet. Which means that these schools of prophecy, well, let's just say I think there's a lot of flesh involved. A lot of flesh involved. Uh, so, Elisha is running this school of prophets. He's teaching them how to preach the word, apply it to the people. It's really, he's running a seminary. He's a seminary. But it's not like today's seminaries. This would be where they just pretty much stay in classes. This would be more of a boot camp. More of a boot camp. I know when I uh, was involved with Gospel for Asia for a while, and I I was... uh, 
went to one of their boot camps in India. I spent a couple weeks in India with one of their seminary boot camps. And boy, I, I loved the way that they ran their, their seminary, their boot camp, Gospel for Asia. They had hundreds of these, these, uh, Indian evangelists and they, they taught them the Word of God and they taught them how to, uh, teach it and they taught them how to live it and they encouraged them how to pray hours a day and they took the word and they memorized verses uh, lots of verses and prayer hours and hours a day and then that night they would send them out to preach and to evangelize and to plant churches all the whole time they're learning the word of god and praying and they're out preaching and evangelizing and planting churches that's what they had to do Awesome. I think we could learn something from their seminary boot camps, just like we could from Elisha and his seminary here. And that's what Elisha was doing. And even though Israel was an apostasy, it was turning away from God, his boot camp, his seminary, his school for the prophets was still growing, still growing. God was blessing it because God was preparing the remnant for revival. Remember the 7,000 that hadn't bowed their knees to Baal, Elijah, with God? Remember that story? Well, that 7,000 was starting to multiply here, and God was preparing that remnant. It wasn't going to be the whole country. They're going to go into captivity. God was judging them, yet he still kept a remnant. He was preparing them to go into their captivity. Judgment was on the way for the nation of Israel, and later on for Judah. Judgment is on the way. The Assyrians were going to come and conquer them soon but God always prepares his people first he prepares his remnant first in the USA today people say oh there's going to be this revival uh, years and years have been hearing revival big revival revival listen I hope it happens don't get me wrong I would love to see a revival that would turn into a spiritual awakening and, and rock this country and I hope for that believe me I hope for it but it appears right now right now it appears and uh, that that it's going to be a remnant revival only a remnant revival only and it's preparing us the remnant to go through this time of judgment it's time for the judgment to begin with the house of god and what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel and the judgment is then going to start with the church we're already seeing god refining his church separating the weeds from the wheat we're already seeing it and then it's going to prepare us to go through this time of judgment that he sends on this country i believe that's coming well, it reminds me of what happened before the civil war the horrible civil war that just ripped the country apart and yet just before that many people don't know there was a revival the businessmen's revival Revival that prepared people both in the northern and southern states. The men came together for this revival and prepared them for what they were going to have to go through, the terrible civil war. In fact, even after battles, they would they had these certain hymns that the businessmen revivals uh, would sing. That was like a, a standard new hymns that were written for this revival. And after this, these terrible battles in the civil war, wounded and dying soldiers all over the field, and yet both sides were singing these hymns, these businessmen revival hymns, both North and Southern soldiers singing them together out on that field as they were wounded and dying. And God had used that revival to prepare them for what they were going to have to go through. And God is doing, I believe he's doing the same. He's preparing us for the judgment that I that it appears. Now, I hope, I would love to see, like I said, a revival 
and a it, that spreads into a spiritual awakening to the entire country. It could still happen, but right now at this point in history, it appears that it's going to be a remnant revival, and God is going to God is judging the USA today. So back to Elisha. They're getting ready for judgment. But yet he's being faithful. He's training these prophets. The remnant revival, they're preparing them, the people, for what they're going to be going through. We, uh, if you haven't listened to my Daniel series online, go listen. You'll see what happened. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were prepared for what they were going to be going through. Uh, with, with, uh, after Israel went into captivity, then Judah went into captivity. It's all, they were being prepared for that spiritually. Wait till you hear about Daniel and, and how he was ready spiritually, where he's going to go to. But here they are, their meeting place is too small. Back to Elisha. The meeting space is too small. They're outgrowing it. And it says the meeting and then the living. It's all wound together. It's a boot camp. It's too small. And so they came to Elisha with an idea. They said, Elisha, let's build a bigger facility that we can meet and live in. And he says, go. Go ahead and do it. That's how I handle ministry ideas too. People come to me all the time with lots of ministry ideas. And I say, if you have one, I say, go for it. Do it. I always give people that. Not always, but most of the time I say, go for it. Go do it. If God's put that on your heart, go do it. Uh, but some, sometimes people come up with ideas and they want me to do it. <laughs> I, I say, listen, just don't come up with ideas and expect me to. If God's put something on your heart, do it. But, yeah, but, but I'm kidding. I, this one guy especially would come up to me all the time. <clears throat> he's moved away now. He knows who he is. Maybe he's even going to listen to this. But he used to come to me and say, uh, Pastor Chuck, we, we got, I got this great idea. Let's do blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And I'd be like, yeah, that's great. Go do it. He goes, well, no, I'm coming to you to let, have you do it. I go, well, no, if God's put something on your heart, you should be doing it. And, and, he, but I don't want to do it. I want you to do it. I'm like, that's not how it works. Elisha, go for it, right? And, and finally, I'll never forget one time he came out and he started telling me that he goes, wait, stop. I already know you're going to tell me to do it. I go, that's right. That's right. Do it. Uh, so, so anyway, Elisha, go do it. But, uh, they're, they're outgrowing it. Now, although Elisha says, go ahead, they still invite Elisha and he decides to come along, which he ended up doing. It's a good thing he did, as we see, because while they're cutting down the trees along the Jordan, the axe head falls off of the handle. And I hate it when that happens. I, growing up on the farm, we cut down lots of trees, especially when we were younger, before my dad would entrust us with a chainsaw. Uh, we would have these axes and, and, and sometimes they were one piece of metal and you'd be chopping, chopping, but sometimes the axe had, a handle, a wooden handle, and the axe head just kind of fit on it, and you would just kind of like bang on the handle on the ground, and it would kind of set it, and then you would chop until it fell off. Uh, then later on, we kind of we would take nails and nail them into the top of the wood and bend them over so it would hold the axe head on. We didn't have to keep taking, you know, putting it back on and banging it into the ground and getting it to stay again. So we would we would put the nail over, but they didn't have a lot of metal here. They were lucky to have the axe head. A lot, they didn't have the nails, didn't have all that. So he's cutting here and the axe head flies off into the river and is lost, which is a big deal because iron was very, very rare in Israel at this time and very valuable. Very valuable. Not like today. It was rare and valuable. And, and it was also borrowed. He said, I borrowed it. I know on the farm, growing up on the farm, 
there was only one thing worse than breaking a tool or breaking some machinery, and that was breaking a borrowed tool or machinery. And as a result, my dad rarely borrowed any. We rarely borrowed. My dad did not like to borrow anything, and he didn't like to loan anything. Because, and it's true, we saw it when I was younger, and later on we didn't loan anything out. Because it often... More times than not, he loaned something out and they would forget about even bringing it back. But when they finally brought it back, it was broken. And he's like, you broke it. He goes, well, yeah, but it was obviously faulty when you gave it to me or it wasn't broken. He's like, no, no, you borrow a tool and break it. You fix it. But they wouldn't do it. And and, uh, so my dad stopped loaning things out. I remember that. People come up. Nope. You know, his... He had brothers and sisters living nearby. Nope, uh-uh. <laughs> Go buy your own. Because <laughs> you know, he made him mad. You know, have this coming back broken. And so this young prophet is panicked. He knows someone's going to be mad at him. Especially if he's like my dad. Going to be mad at him. And he can't re- afford to replace this iron tool. Very, very valuable. So he tells Elisha. Elisha cuts a piece of wood and floats it over the spot. And as it floats over that spot, the iron floats up to the top. Guy grabs it. Everything's good. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, crazy. Now, what is the spiritual significance of this miracle? This piece of wood. Is it a type? Because as we have seen so many times with Elijah and Elisha, there's so many types. There's an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. And is this a type? Now, it's possible, it's possible that this wooden stick, that this wooden stick that they, here's I got a pencil, threw in, it's possible that that represents the cross. Some people have tried to apply this as a type, that it represents the cross, and that by recovering the iron axe head, that that, that piece of wood paid a debt that was owed, all right? Just like we, like the cross pays our debt of sin, that wooden wooden stick pulled up the iron that was borrowed, that was a debt, it, it paid off the debt that was owed. That's possible. And it's also possible that, that, that by depending on the cross of Jesus Christ, what, by depending on that piece of stick, what was lost was recovered, and by depending on the cross of Christ, what was lost lost in our life could be recovered. Okay, so we see it pays off the debt and recovers what is lost. Could be a picture of what the cross does. But this is not a slam dunk. This explanation, this type, although possible, and people have tried to make it, apply it to some kind of a type in the New Testament, it's possible, but it's not a slam dunk. This one, good chance, isn't a type of anything. What is definite, what is definite, what we know for sure what this miracle does, is it shows that God can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. Now follow this. This miracle is what you call a Bible sandwich. A biblical sandwich. The Holy Spirit places it right between two amazing miracles. Two shocking things that happen in people's life. He puts this floating metal iron right in the middle of there. And, and, he, and it, we, it's, it's a Holy Spirit Bible, biblical sandwich, we call it. Both sides, miracles, and then you have the iron right in the middle. And we already saw, just before we get to this miracle, we already saw that Naaman the Aramean... Gentile leper is healed and saved. He comes to salvation. You talk about the impossible. The impossible. 
And then, then we have this iron floating, the iron axe head floats. And then wait till we see what happens next week. We'll see what God does with the whole Aramean army. Not just, not just Naaman, one of the commanders, but what he does with the whole Aramean army. So right on both sides, Naaman, the, the, the Gentile, leper and then on the other side his his army really his army what happened some amazing thing right in the middle on both sides there's the pieces of bread in the middle is this miracle of the floating iron axe head the floating iron is a physical picture of a spiritual reality that god can do the impossible. He can change Naaman. He can do something amazing with Naaman's army. He can do something on both sides of it. God can do the impossible. That is the one thing we can drive the nail on. Just like we used to drive the nail into the axe head and bend it over and keep it there. That's the one thing we can drive our spiritual nail into that God can do the impossible. And this is the hope that we have today. Maybe some of you have lost something valuable recently. Maybe you've lost something valuable over these last five months of the coronavirus crisis. Maybe you've lost someone that you loved. Maybe you've lost your health. Maybe you've lost a job or your business or your livelihood or your life savings. Maybe you've lost time in school or in college. Maybe you've lost friend, you know, time with your friends because you've been isolated. Maybe you've lost part of your childhood, your kid, and you've lost half of a year of your childhood locked away in the house. Maybe because of all this, you have lost your hope. You have lost your hope that you're depressed. It's hard when we're shut in, when we're isolated. So many people I talk to are down, are depressed. Very, very common. But this miracle, this Bible sandwich that the Holy Spirit made for us, the sandwich that he made, this miracle proves that we can always have hope in God's power. He can restore anything that is lost. Even this iron axe that floats up the top. He can restore anything that is lost if we call out to him. If we call out to him. It may not be everything we once had. After this whole passage, it might not be everything that we once had, but it will be all that we need. That's what we've seen as we've gone through this time. Some of the things that were so important to us, we don't need them. They're nothing. They were idols, right? We're starting to see this. We'll have all that we need. God's new normal. We're probably never going to have the same old normal, but God's new normal for our lives might never be the same for us again. Might never be the same, but it will be better for us in the long run. It will be better for us for eternity. Some people have put their faith in Christ during this time. They've come to Jesus. That's for eternity. Some people have refocused spiritually on God's calling and God's purpose on their life. That's that's eternity. We are living in crazy times. Crazy times. I've been doing this prophecy series. If you haven't started it yet, making sense of this crazy world. I started with Mark 13. I went to Matthew 24. I just went through the book of Daniel. Getting ready next week to start the book of Revelation. I encourage you to listen to this because God is preparing us for end times. All that's happening, he's preparing us. He's preparing his church for the end times, for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's telling us to get ready to be prepared. And even in the worst of times, we've seen these terrible times for us in our country, even in the worst of times, we can experience the best of times. Spiritually, 
through faith. So many I've heard say, I've grown so much spiritually through this time. I've refocused. I've had time with my family. I've stopped watching TV. I've done this. I've done that. You know, I'm having family time. It's just like it used to be when I was a kid. And, and we're seeing that, that even in the worst of times, we can experience the best of times spiritually through faith. God can do the impossible. Remember that. God can do the impossible. Write it down. Put it into your phone screen. Post it somewhere. Tattoo. If you're going to get a tattoo, this is what you should write on your arm or leg or wherever you put your tattoo. Uh, if, you, if you're going to get a tattoo, get this one. God can do the impossible. He can do the impossible. Like with Naaman. Like with Naaman. We just went, spent five weeks on Naaman, six weeks on Naaman. God can save anyone. If that shows us anything, God can save anyone, even the impossible ones, which are all of us, really. It's not just Naaman. We're all pretty impossible spirit. We are all totally impossible to save. Uh, in fact, in Matthew 19, Matthew 19, verse 25, listen to what Jesus says. Talking about the rich young ruler. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but... With God, all things are possible. God can save anyone. Anyone. He can, if, if you are not a Christian yet, and you say, there's no way, I'm just lost, it's too late for me. Uh-uh. With God, all things are possible. He can save you if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ. He will save you. And you might be witnessing to someone or you've been praying for someone to come to faith. Say, ah, it's never going to work. You know, they're never going to come to Christ. Uh Uh-uh. It's possible. If it's in God's will, it will happen. Keep on witnessing. Keep on praying for that person. God can save and transform anyone. Anyone. Even if the world says it is impossible. The world says Lots of people can't change whatever they are. They are. That's the way they are. They're born that way. There's songs about that. You know, people can't change. You got to struggle. You'll never change. That's what the world wants us to believe. That lie. But listen to what God says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 13. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 13. Memorize this one, baby. Uh, do you not know? Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Wrap your mind around that one. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That means we're all going to hell. We're all going to hell. But listen to what it says. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what we were, no matter what we were, no matter what our life was, no matter what we were living out, no matter what our identity was, it doesn't matter. The the world says it does matter, says it's impossible. If you're living these lives, you're stuck in those, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to make that your identity. Uh uh-uh. uh. God's word says, uh uh-uh. uh. That is what some of you were, but you are washed, sanctified, justified, just as if I never 
sinned in God's sight, sanctified, set apart, washed, washed clean of that garbage, washed clean of that sin, washed clean of that lying identity, washed clean of that demonic lie that that's what I am. The, the media is squelching stories of people that are changing, uh, transformation, people who used to live homosexual lives, like homosexual offenders, homosexual lives or transgender lives, people are being set free from that. The media won't talk about it. You've got to be on a, a Christian site to read these testimonies and stories. Huge numbers. It's a tidal wave of people being transformed, being set free, being washed, sanctified, justified being set free that that's why they want to ban these therapies any therapy that can that that can help someone find healing especially the christian ones are trying to ban them because every time someone changes every time somebody is transformed every time somebody is washed sanctified justified by jesus christ and they say i'm no longer a homosexual i'm not going to live that life anymore i've been set free through jesus christ I am healed through Jesus Christ. Every time they do it, they expose the demonic lie. Every time. Same with transgender. Lots of people coming saying, I'm going to go back to my God-given gender. I'm going to go back to the God-given gender. that I, I believe the lie. I don't have to believe that anymore. I'm going to live the life God has given me and called me to in the purpose. And the media hates it. And, and the world hates it. When, and those in sin hate it when these people share these stories. And they're out there. It's easy to find. Just do a little search. Shocking numbers of people that are coming out of Harvest USA, an amazing ministry. Get their newsletter. Go on their website, Harvest USA, amazing ministry. We support them. The lives that are being transformed every day through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Washed, sanctified, justified. The world hates it when it says it because it's exposing their lie. The truth, the truth that Jesus Christ has the power to change anyone. Listen, we've all been born some way. <laughs> we've all been born in sin with a sin nature, with a disease of sin. But Jesus Christ came to, to, to give his blood, to wash us clean, to set us free from the lie. So if the Son has set you free, you've been set free indeed. And, and that's what God can do. Even when the world says it's impossible, God can transform anybody. He can transform anyone. God can do the impossible. I don't know if you've been following the story about uh, Jonathan Isaac, the only NBA player to not kneel with a Black Lives Matter shirt. And he said it's because of the gospel. Listen to what he says. Orlando Magic forward Jonathan Isaac was the lone player to stand during the National Anthem before a recent game and not to wear the Black Lives Matter shirt. He, uh, uh, Jonathan Isaac, who is black, cited the gospel later when asked to explain his reasoning. He says, I don't think that kneeling or putting on a t-shirt for me personally is the answer. The NBA player told, uh, told this news site. For me, he explained, black lives are supposed, are supported through the gospel. All lives are supported through the gospel. He continued, we fall short of God's glory. And at the end of the day, whoever will humble themselves and seek God and repent their sins, then we could see our mistakes and people's mistakes and people's evil in a different light. And that would help bring us closer together and get past skin color, get past anything that's on the surface that doesn't really deal with the hearts of men and women. The gospel, and then he shares his whole testimony, how the, how he lived a horrible, 
wicked life, but the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed him. And just a short time later, he re-injured. He had already just come back from an injury. He re-injured his knee again. Shocking, lying there on the ground. But yet God has a purpose for this man's powerful testimony. God has a purpose for his injury. You watch how God uses this young man and his testimony. And even the, the new trial that he just put him through, that injury was, was God-ordained. Who knows how God's going to use it to, to free him up, to, to share the gospel instead of dribbling a basketball. Uh, unless he calls him to it, it's awesome. But, but to, to share, to preach the gospel, God has a powerful purpose for this man. But he shares how the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed him. And it's not just the, 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 the side on the Black Lives Matter who, who've been bought into... A, uh, now listen, Black Lives Matter, the idea that, that we shouldn't be racist against black people, love it. But the Black Lives Matter movement is a counterfeit. The movement, I'm talking about the organization that is run by these Marxist lesbians. The organization that wants to overturn the nuclear family and get rid of fathers. This, this organization that has hijacked a very worthy cause helping stop racism and, 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 uh, injustice towards black people. Awesome, but it's been hijacked by this Black Lives Matter. Uh, you want to you wanna have a real organization that really cares about black people? Tony Evans, black preacher, loved what he said. All Black Lives Matter. That's what we need to start. I wanted to find some artist to make a shirt with, with George Floyd with his arm around a young black man and a, 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 an unborn black baby in his other arm and say, all Black Lives Matter. Because if we really care about racism, we really care about black people, black and white Christians have to join hands and fight for all black lives. The, 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 the people that are mistreated by a policeman, which thank God is becoming more and more rare. The young men and young women being shot through violence, the culture of violence, the gang violence. Seven, eight thousand people a year, not getting more rare. And the 300,000 black babies that are murdered every year because Planned Parenthood has, has brainwashed people into, into killing these, these black babies. Unbelievable. All black lives matter. All Black Lives Matter. We want to fight racism. You want to fight racism against blacks. Then we join hands together and we fight for all black lives together. And if anybody doesn't want to fight for all black lives together, then I'm not with you. I'll join hands with any person of any color that will fight for all black lives. And we know the Bible teaches that all lives matter too. We know that. I didn't even know the media is twisting that statement. I've heard uh, uh, Jonathan Isaac said it himself. All lives matter. He said it. A black man. So, there's another side though. There's another side. We've taken on the, this, this, this counterfeit movement, but there's another side. Here's another article. Former Klansmen turned Christian warns churches to wake up and confront hatred in a divided America. A divided America. And this, this guy, um, Let's see, his name is Tom Tarrant, 72, and he, he wrote a book, Consumed by Hate, Redeemed by Love. And listen to what he said. He grew up in a Christian church. He heard a lot of sermons. I went to Sunday school regularly. He, and he grew up in Alabama. I made a profession of faith when I was 13 years old. His, uh, says, he says this, I hated black people. I hated Jews. I hated liberals and on and on. He hated them all. 
He, my school had been selected for desegregation. I became very angry about it. His anger erupted into hatred, eventually drew him to the Ku Klux Klan, someone who claimed to be a Christian, an association that put him on a collision course with the law. He attempted to plant a bomb at the home of a Jewish civil rights leader in Mississippi. He got caught, put in prison for 30 years. And while in prison, he said he was forced to live in close quarters with blacks and other groups that he hated. He then start, turned to the Bible, started studying the Bible, and he encountered what he describes as true Christianity, a theology based on God's love and redemption plan for all people. I had seen the errors of racist thinking and realized my hatred was ultimately based on lies and distortions. Lies and distortions. He, he said, if you are he came out, became a pastor, wrote the book. He said, if you are serious about following Jesus, that demolishes the idea that we could hate or dislike people of any racial or ethnic makeup. After an early release, eight years, he, he went into ministry. He forged relationships with black Christians. He worked in urban ministry and co-pastored an interracial church in Washington, D.C. God can change everyone. He can change white racists into loving Christians. He can change black racists into loving Christians. He can do the same with red, yellow, black, and white. We are precious in his sight. He can do it with anyone. God can transform anyone. What the world says is impossible, God does on a regular basis. No matter what we have lost, God can restore. No matter what we've lost, God can restore. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God can restore anything. Even the USA Today, it looks impossible. But don't count out God. There could still be a revival and a spiritual awakening. I'm hoping and praying for that. But at the very least, there will be a remnant revival. Will we be part of it? Will you be part of the remnant revival? Will we be part of it? God can do anything. Anything. Look at our lives already. Look what he's already done in our life. How if you've put your faith in Jesus, you, he has saved you already. He has washed, sanctified, justified you already. Look at the, tes the, the, the crisis, what he has brought us through. We, we're having testimonies, been sharing a lot of testimonies recently. And, and we, we listen to the testimonies, your own testimonies, what God has brought us through, what crises God has brought us through, the coronavirus and many, many other crises. God can do the impossible. Let's pray. As Christians, how is God speaking to us right now? Has this passage given you hope? Hope that God can do the impossible? Has it given us the encouragement to approach the throne of grace with confidence to find mercy and grace? to keep going, to keep following God, to keep letting Him transform our lives, to restore what was lost, to change us, no matter what we were, no matter what we're battling with now, that we remember, no, I am washed 
sanctified, justified. That's not who I am. That's what I, that's who I was. That's not who I am today. I don't have to go back. I don't have to give in. I have God's mercy and grace to keep moving forward. Even if I fall on my face, I get back up. I keep moving forward. I have hope today because God can do the impossible. He can even save you. Maybe you are like Naaman the leper before he came to Elisha. Maybe you know that you are a spiritual leper, that you're cut off from God. That just like 1 Corinthians 6 talks about, you know that you are facing God's judgment. Facing his judgment. And yet you don't have to stay in that fear, in that shame, in that judgment. You may be lost, but God can save anyone. He will save you if you will put your faith in him. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're caught in right now, God can transform you. He can save you. He will forgive you. He will make you a brand new person if you will put your faith in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross in our place. He gave his blood to pay for our sin. He came back from the dead to give us brand new life, to show his power, to make us a brand new person if we will put our faith in him. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? You can do that now. Right now. Wherever you are, whatever you're stuck in, whatever you're defeated by, no matter what life you are living, you can be washed, sanctified, justified by putting your faith, believing in, by putting your faith in Jesus. The prayer of faith, God, I ask you to forgive my sin. I turn away from my old life. I repent and walk away from that because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I want to live for you, God, by your power, for your purpose. I give my life to you. I put my faith in Jesus. Father, I pray that every person here every person listening to this, whenever they hear it, that they would make sure that they have put their faith in Jesus, they become a brand new person in Jesus Christ. They would know that they have life now and forever with you. And Lord, I pray for every one of us that we would have the hope, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what we're knocked down, what we feel defeated by, whatever we're going through, that we would have renewed hope that you can do the impossible. That we have been washed, sanctified, justified, and now we have to live out that justification by faith. I pray that you give us renewed hope to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need help with a struggle, I encourage you to talk to a Christian brother or, or sister, to talk to a Christian counselor, to find a good pastor. Maybe you have a pastor already. Awesome. Find a good church. 
Bible-believing, born-again church and get connected with that church and, 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 and learn to fight these battles. And if you put your faith in Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, do the same. Let somebody know. Let a family member or a friend of you who's a Christian know what you've done because they're going to be excited and encourage you and help you grow. Or, or if there's a good church, a local church, or a, a, a Bible study, something you can connect with. And if you don't know where to connect, email me, nhcc at comcast.net. Email me and I will get you connected. Or if you've got a struggle, you need help connecting with someone for that struggle, once again, nhcc at comcast.net. I will help you get connected, okay? God bless and wait till you see the story, the other side of the sandwich, the next piece of bread to the, this impossible sandwich. Wait till you see next time. Second Kings 6, next part. God bless.